truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand on The Blaze, I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with us as well. Happy Thursday to all of you. 888-933-93 is the number. 888-933-93. Let us know what you think about what we think. There's a few different ways you can do that. You can email the program, steve at stevedace.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name, in case you were wondering, it's spelled D-E-A-C-E. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll take a break from the rise and fall uh, and the decline is in there somewhere, too, of Western civilization to have some fun with three non-political questions. Conservative comedian Evan Sayet is going to join us. Uh, also, Theology Thursday coming your way. We're going to take a look at the, the cultural temperature in the room. Uh, well, in the culture, not, not in... Not in, not in this room. That's just an that's just an expression. Uh, that and more coming your way here today on the program. But we begin as we always do with Aaron letting us know what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away? Brought to you by the story that never ends and keeps on annoying an entire country. Attorney General Bill Barr was held in contempt of Congress yesterday for refusing to publicly release the full unredacted Mueller report. Even though the redactions are for national security purposes, the Jerry Nadler types don't seem to care. We've talked for a long time about approaching a constitutional crisis. We are now in it. In response to the House Judiciary Committee's attempts to have the full unredacted Mueller report released, the White House announced yesterday that President Trump will be invoking executive privilege in order to keep the redacted portions of the report Redacted. This story is going to be the reasons why aliens never try to contact us. I, I just, I know. Donald Trump rallied in Florida last night. And Democrats are aggressively pushing late-term abortion, allowing children to be ripped from their mother's womb right up until the moment of birth. And then you have this governor in Virginia. You saw that. The baby is born and you wrap the baby beautifully. And you talk to the mother about the possible execution of the baby. No, can't do that. So who heard of that one? And that came up and that's now something and they don't even want to discuss it. And now a story we've been waiting to let unfold before sharing it with you. Earlier this week, an attempted mass shooting at a STEM school in Denver, Colorado, was thwarted in part by an 18-year-old student by the name of Kendrick Castillo, who lunged at the gunman, disarming him but not before receiving fatal injuries. The gunman and another juvenile suspect injured eight others. When asked how they were stopped, Douglas County Undersheriff Holly Nicholson-Cluth said, They were caught by officers running into the schools. The suspects were an 18-year-old man and a 16-year-old girl who was undergoing so-called hormone therapy. Last night, a vigil was held at the school. Some local politicians spoke about the need for gun control, at which point students started to walk out before chanting mental health. A Chicago Cubs fan has been banned for life for flashing the OK symbol because racism. In completely unrelated news, Addison Russell made his return to the Cubs yesterday after serving a 40-game suspension for an accusation of domestic abuse. Immigration and Customs Enforcement has detained a convicted dog rapist, dog rapist, in order to deport him. No, 
I know what you're thinking, and you're still a xenophobe. And finally, Mitch McConnell says, Let me be clear, I will be the grim reaper in the Senate when it comes to socialist schemes that would destroy jobs, private health insurance, and the free enterprise system. (laughs) And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage today brought to you by our friends at Patriot Mobile. You know, it's almost impossible to do business uh, as an American these days without having a mobile phone. The, the towers, the systems, everything it takes to maintain uh, one of these networks is extremely costly. That's why there's only a handful of companies. And if you watch the ads, they run against one another. They're literally telling you there's really not any difference, uh, you know, comprehensively. Maybe in certain parts of the country, you're at a place where a certain network is stronger than others. But uh, nationwide, uh, they pretty much have the exact same coverage that everybody else has with about a 1% difference. So really the only difference between these mobile phone companies is what they end up doing with the money after you spend it with them. And that's why you want to check out Patriot Mobile. If you want your money going to causes and supporting values that you believe in, Patriot Mobile is the only veteran-led conservative mobile phone company. Uh, and they they spend money on organizations that uh, you also would like to support, like PragerU, Alliance Defending Freedom, and more. And with plans starting as low as $25 a month, why wait? If you want to learn more, here's what you need to do. Give them a call at 1-800-A-PATRIOT. The A uh needs to be there. The A needs to be in there, okay? 1-800-A-PATRIOT. Use the code BLAZE when you call in and they'll waive your activation fee. Or to make it even simpler for you, just go to the website, patriotmobile.com slash blaze. patriotmobile.com slash blaze and they'll waive the activation fee for you there as well. All right, let's get to uh, to Aaron's uh, to mon- montage. And... The story with Bill Barr and what's going on there, and we we addressed this a little bit uh, during the overtime section uh, yesterday here on Blaze TV for our subscribers. So I want to leave that part of the conversation we had yesterday because, you know, that what's the one rule of overtime? What is said in the overtime stays in the overtime, right? So we're going to leave that part of the conversation aside, okay? But there's a broader angle to this that if, if you should be, in my view, and I mean, I, I could be wrong, all right? There's a handful of you that every time I don't come on here and say everything Donald Trump does is great, like to email me and tell me I'm out of touch. It's like you just you know, cut, cut copy and paste those. So this is the portion of the program that you will be emailing me the same thing again about later today. <laughs> right, right now they're saying, how does he know we copy and paste those? <laughs> yes. All right, I, I, to me... Um, you know, Admiral Akbar is is singing loudly here. That's a trap, okay? Because we all know, and 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 all the clips are being shared of what Jerry Nadler said in the 1990s about the Clintons, because he's been in Congress that long. And we all know what Jerry Nadler and his ilk were saying about Eric Holder not wanting to come testify to the Republican Congress and walking out. We all know these things because these clips are everywhere being shared at the moment. And now here's the thing you have to understand, though. You know, we, we when we do philosophy on this show, one of the things we have we have tried to communicate to you is that uh, for one side's assertion to be true, the inverse must also be true. Otherwise, it's what we call in logic a fallacy. Right. So if it's true that Jerry Nadler is a hypocrite here for demanding that Bill Barr come and testify to him when he was walking out, when Republicans were making the same uh, demands when they were in control of Eric Holder during the Obama years, then guess what's also true? That the Republicans who don't see a problem with Bill Barr not testifying, but you know lost their collective uh, feces 
when Eric Holder didn't, are kind of guilty of the exact same hypocrisy, right? I mean, for, for one side to be true, so must the other be, right? And now, of course, we're, but I know what you're going to say. We're going to get into a long conversation about, well, the situations aren't morally equivalent. And I actually agree with you, they're not. But the, do you know what the operative uh, phrase I just used a, f- a few seconds ago? Do you know what the operative phrase is there? Long conversation. You lost. Congratulations. Yeah, you lost. Anytime anything requires a long conversation, you lose. You lose every time. People don't care. They, they, they just don't care. You know what they care about? Did the president collude? No, no Russian collusion. Okay, then I don't care. Anything, anything beyond that, I don't care. It's not that they're lazy, Bob. It's that they just don't care. Right? They are. They're busy. They've got seventy-five other distractions. And anytime, and I have said this to countless politicians and others I've worked with and for over the years. You guys have probably heard me say it in phone calls off the air. All right. Anytime the explanation is longer than the allegation, you lose. Anytime. Anytime. It doesn't matter what it is. Any, if Brett Kavanaugh had said anything more than, I don't even know this woman, he would have lost. Anything other than that, he loses. Repeat nothing other than no Russian collusion. That, 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 stop. All stop. Stop talking. Say nothing more. Just stop. But Steve, but Steve, no, 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 no. Okay, no. See, the, this is a trap. It's a trap. The goal is, you know what's not being talked about right now? They're looking to talk about anything other than 3.25% yep. economic growth. And I mean anything. I mean literally anything. Anything. Jerry Nadler will sleep with Stormy Daniels. If we can talk about anything other than 3.25% economic growth. Anything. They're looking for anything to talk about other than that. There's a sign. And I, some of you that are like, man, Steve, heard you say these things before. I know. It's like parenting my 14 and 12-year-old children. I just say the same things over and over again. Hoping maybe eventually there'll be a lone voice crying out in the wilderness. And he won't be alone anymore. One other person will listen. One other person will have an answer then. It's four-dimensional chess! Some other answer. Something. So let me try. Let me try again. Okay? The whole point of this is to get Republicans and the president and his supporters talking about anything other than the good that's happening in the country right now. They have nothing else to run on. Literally nothing else. Their base is fully mobilized on one principle alone. Orange man bad. They won't have any issues to run on unless the economy downturns because they're so far out of the mainstream on virtually every other issue. And that's not new to this cycle. That actually has been true for about 40 years. If you go back to 1972, when the left really asserted 
its place of prominence in the Democratic Party for the first time with the nomination of George McGovern, you will find that unless there's an economic downturn and or a Republican incumbent president in scandal, Democrats don't win presidential elections. That's been going on for 45 years now. But that's before Todd and I were born. That was happening. So there, there isn't an economic downturn now. You know, who knows? You know, we, we don't know. There could be a sudden crash. Could be an October 87 you know, as September 2008, there's no way of knowing that right now. But they they don't have that to run on now. And so they have to, they don't have a real scandal. So they need a made up one. Engaging them on this is a loser. And it's not that you have the winning, it's not that you don't have the winning argument. It's that the argument in and of itself is a loser. Every minute, every minute we're all talking about this Guess what we're also not talking about? What else are we not talking about right now? We put out our clicky videos on Jerry Nadler, hypocrite, yeah, you know, all that stuff. Guess what our videos aren't communicating then? Or what our shows aren't talking about? Guess. 3.25% economic growth. The lowest raw number unemployment claims since the year 2000, the tail end of the Clinton era dot com boom, when there were like 58 million fewer people in the country at the time. Not counting the 22% of the El Salvadoran population that already lives here illegally. So, um, I mean. How else are we going to get clicks, Steve? I, I, I mean, I, I, come I on. I, and you know what? I kind of get why doing why we're doing what we're doing here in our industry. You know, the bait ain't going to click itself. But we don't need to, you know, get a majority of 130 million Americans to vote for us in 16 months. The people over in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue do. They're not running a conservative media enterprise. They're, 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 they're running for re-election. And they've got a good case to run on. How about stating it every now and then? I mean, there's no law that says, at least I think there's not. Maybe we had one federal judge issue a national injunction claiming there is. Probably. Probably. But I don't believe there's a law currently anyway that says we, we have to react to everything they do and say about us. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That law's out there, I don't think. So, so you know, get busy living here or get busy dying. Um, the, if you're running the president's political team and you're not giving him this advice, enjoy your set of steak knives. You're fired, Glenn Gary. That I mean, I I don't I I could understand if the economy was recovering slower than the president would have hoped. I I could understand if they hadn't passed a big tax cut. I mean, I, I, I can understand if wages weren't rising and unemployment claims falling. I, I could understand why they'd want to engage on this level of partisan minutia. And don't just take my word for it. Hell, Amy Klobuchar was here in Iowa last week saying, you know, what's interesting is nobody on the nobody campaign trail. Cares. Nobody cares about the Mueller report. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to like every liberal enclave in Iowa and no one's asking me about it. They want to know about the opioid crisis and gun safety and and addiction. So the, every minute, the whole point of all of this, all of it, 
is to is to is to get you over there at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to get you to punch down, to get you to argue down. You are falling for the banana in your tailpipe. You don't need the approval of Maggie Haberman of the New York Times. You don't need the approval of Democrats in Congress. You need the approval of about 68 million Americans 16 months from now. And in my lifetime, the single most powerful thing a presidential candidate has ever said in order to close his case to the American people is when Ronald Reagan asked in 1980, when Jimmy Carter was accusing him of being a racist and a xenophobe, and none of this is new, go watch those clips. It's all the same, just more cowbell. And Reagan just cut right through the clutter and looked into the screen, and he asked a very simple question. Are you better off than you were four years ago? If you are, vote for him. And if you're not, vote for me. The rest of this is, is noise. It's irrelevant. Again, simple. Make it simple for me. Boil it down for me. If, it, if The more syllables, the less likely I'm going to care, let alone be convinced. Todd, you look like you have something you want to say over there. Well, I think the trick, once again, is being wise as serpents. You, you will not be able to simply segue to talking about the strength of the economy and suddenly have lights, camera, action and have them following you. That's, that's not how the press works. That's where classic bias will set in. They will just ignore that for as long as is humanly possible. So you have to get them... You, you have to be smart enough on how you troll them to get them off of their talking points to talk about what you want into. And maybe you're going there next, but the way you change the narrative and then have an opportunity to talk about the economy is what Donald Trump did once again with abortion, because they'll bite on that much, much quicker uh, because that is stands in defiance of one of their sacraments. Um, and we see what guys like, guys like Brian Sims, they just cannot stop on that. But on the economy, that's classical bias. They will simply ignore our attempts to talk about it for as long as possible. We was, we, you're, you're tactically absolutely right, but we have to acknowledge that as well. They will simply a, ignore a, it. He's got the most powerful social media account on planet Earth. He can call a White House press briefing anytime he wants mm-hmm. and just walk in that room we're, we're acting You're right. We're we're, You're right. At, we're acting like like um, what's his face uh, hacktastic Jim Acosta the hacktivist. Anybody remember Sam Donaldson? Remember that little old lady from Reuters or whatever Helen Helen whatever her name was that yes. would just sit there at the end yes. at the first front row for thirty flipping years yes. and ask the most trolltastic yes. questions of all time. Yes. You turn her questions. You don't have to answer their questions. Okay. I, exactly. Just stand there and say, "Hey, Jim, while you're over there lying, what'd you think of the 3.25 percent economic growth last month?" And now you're accomplishing two goals. Yes. One, change your Twitter account y- to 3.25 yes. economic growth. Yes, yes, yes. But, so remember, now you're giving us the clickbait we course. want over here. But the American people hate all the people you need the votes from. Hate Jim Acosta every bit as much as yes. you do, just maybe for slightly different reasons. Yes. They'd love to see you just punking him like yes. that. But we're in year three of this presidency. Remember days into it, how the fever dreams the three of us have had about what you could do 
with this uh, press secretary, even before we knew it was going to be Sean Spicer, how you would run this thing, how you could revolutionize how you ran it. You were absolutely right. Not only have we not done that, we've shut that place down. They're never she's not on TV anymore. They don't use this opportunity like it needs to be. So you're, of course, right. They never listen to you. The, the average American agrees that this thing is a sham. And so they're now wondering, why are you still talking to us about it? Because the narrative, there, there's, there's going to be two narratives here that are, and it doesn't matter who the other side debate, who the other side mo- nominates. These will be the, the two narratives next, a, a year from November. One group, that, that, or let me, let me rephrase that. The two narratives that are going to determine who wins this election. So there could be others, but they'll be the, Yes, but these will be the That's two that, yes. okay, the people that are going to determine this are going to walk in and they're either going to buy into the narrative that as good as the country seems to be doing, we need a better quality of leader. We need, I need somebody I'm more proud of, somebody more mature, somebody I'm less ashamed of to be president. Or they're going to walk in and say, you know, there's times, you know, that uh, he, uh, uh, he makes my knees buckle. It's times he makes me wince. But ah, damn, trains are running on time. It, better than communism. See, yeah. It, one of those two narratives are going to decide this election. Here's the thing, though, about uh, 2020 uh, as opposed to 2016. Because of the historic, uh, the, the historic levels of negatives that both Clinton and Trump had in that election, we'll never know for sure. But I think it's pretty safe to say that that election was won not by affirmatively a candidate. It was won against another candidate. Do you, sure. Can we stipulate to I that? I think that's there's a lot of truth to that. Here is... Here's the, th- I mean, that, that I don't want to take any work away from the, the work or any credit away from the work that the Trump campaign did in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania down the stretch, especially Wisconsin. Here's the thing, though. This election cannot be, I hate the other guy, because we've had four years of Trump now. Here's the, here's the thing, though. Along the lines of what you just said, they don't have to make that choice. They have an affirmative choice. I can actually vote yes. for Trump this yes. time. Yes. Instead of voting against the crazy person. Yes. And if they vote and if it ends up being uh Trump versus uh another, you know, Hillary Clinton 2.0, essentially just somebody who grates, can't stand, yes, late term abortions, yes, rainbow jihad in all of your homes, yes, to um, you know, the boycott divestment sanctions of Israel, all of that stuff. If it's against somebody like that against Trump with a good affirmative reason to vote for him, that is a powerful thing. Uh, I, I don't think that can be... But again, making that message, delivering that message with consistency, that's on, that's on whom? That, that's, on, that's on Trump. Change your Twitter account name to 3.25% economic growth. Um, send out a scheduled tweet every morning. Um, you know... It, lauding your own achievements do more do a rally like that last night and you know minus the you told me i was going to say this four years ago do more rallies yeah i can't believe i actually just said that but yes rallies like that minus the talk (laughs) about oh they're trying to get this which just ignore ignore that again there is so much good that this guy can run on as as much problem as many problems as we as we have with him and that is legion and we've talked about that he has a good opportunity to really make actually a mandate in the next election, but it's up to him and his his uh, communications and political team to do that. One other thing I want to get to in your montage before we do, though, of course, it would be weird if you had a, a, a stoplight sitting at your dinner table 
uh, telling you when it was uh, time to stop eating. But, uh, you know, there's actually one inside your body. It's a long name, but uh, the it's really just OEA is the abbreviation. And this is what uh, the gut sends to the brain uh, to say, hey, we're full, we're good to go. Uh, go ahead and stop eating now. For some of us, though, that signal's just uh, not as strong, particularly as we get older. Uh, that signal can diminish as well, and our metabolisms cannot be uh, what they once were. That's where Riduzone comes in. It wants to beef up that stop light uh, that uh, the creator already put into each of our bodies. It's only got three ingredients. Caffeine is not one. It's not any kind of a stimulant. The overwhelmingly main ingredient is just simply this OEA, and uh, you take this right around the time uh, that you're getting ready to have a meal, and it, you, it tells the body, or the body tells the brain, hey, we're full, we're good, we can stop eating. Uh, and this may be one reason why you have been earnestly doing the best you can, but losing the battle against the bulge. If you want to give this a try, um, here's what you need to do. Just go to the website, riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. And when you go there, they'll give you uh, a special offer right now with promo code Steve, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for riduzone.com. So, the thing that with the Chicago Cubs, two things can be simultaneously true, right? Yes. Know, we've, been, we've been saying that a lot the last few years as well. If, if Clay Travis over at Fox Sports and I is, is, is saying today that this, this being a white power sign. Now, I'm a college basketball fanatic. So I, I see this, you know, between the months of November and April – you know, I see this, you know, 50 times a week <laughs> with with the college basketball games I watch. All right. Oftentimes it's done like this. OK, like I just dropped one in your eye because this is what you see players do regardless of their uh, uh, their their whatever, regardless of their race or their ethnicity signifying a three point shot. And I've seen it this way, that way, black, white, Euro. I, I've seen this. You know, I, I had no idea that people were identifying this uh, as I, a white power thing. Now, Clay Travis at Fox Sports is saying that this is a 4chan. I don't know what 4chan is. Do you guys know what 4chan is? I don't know what it is. Oh. Yeah, never been there, though, and I don't recommend anybody does. All right, so is it some kind of alt-right It's prank just, site? Uh, it's not necessarily alt-right. It's just basically, um, you know, the, the tunnels underneath Gotham City, the, the, sure. really CD, the CD underbelly? Yeah. It's basically that. It's that without being, you know, the the dark web. So it's like, it's like Reddit without a condom on is essentially what you're saying. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> I don't know where that analogy came. No, I, that, Sorry, that's a America. great analogy. <laughs> you know, I was just reading a fascinating piece, piece in the Federalist uh, recommending young women not treat uh, sex as casually as men. And maybe, and I literally was just reading it five minutes before we went on the air. So maybe that's where that came from. I apologize. But, um, uh, Travis is saying that this was developed as a prank by, uh, over at 4chan in order to prank the media and the left's obsession with everything's racist and that there, it, there is no such actual white power symbol. All right. <laughs> I, I think that is entirely possible and entirely true. And as someone grew up in a home of domestic violence, I've, we, I've actually read what Addison Russell's, uh, what his wife wrote, what her incident report is. And uh, I mean, he just, I don't know how else to put it. Someone should beat his ass. I'll just put it right out there. He needs his ass whipped. 
I see another example of why uh, one of the requirements for your uh, dating or marrying one of your daughters is to yeah. have your butt kicked. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two requirements. You got to love Jesus and you had to have your ass whipped at least once in life. So I know that you can get back up when you get knocked down. But he needs one correctively. Like he needs a corrective ass whipping, what he did. And so the same day they're banning this fan, they're bringing him back from suspension. And they're going to pay him millions of dollars. And everybody knows he's a wife beater. It's not even in debate. The, that That is such a sign of the times that... I, but on the other hand, can I just say this too? If you are... If you're flashing that while a black guy's talking on screen as a prank, why do you think that's funny? Can you... Am, am I wrong? I'm, and I'm not... I, no, everything there, you said This isn't is virtue signaling. This is just virtue. You know... We don't, we don't, you know, KKK jokes aren't funny. Abortion jokes, unless you're Sarah Silverman, not funny. Some things are just evil and never funny. So why wouldn't, when a black guy's talking on television, I don't, you want to bury the Cubs for their hypocrisy? I'm totally okay with that. I'm just talking about this one guy as an individual. Why would you do that? Well, why would you think that's cool? Why would you think that's funny? What am I missing with that? Do you know, Todd? Nothing. Well, You've laid out two clear dude code violations. It's not more complicated than that. Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I didn't see, I haven't seen the video. I've just seen that one screenshot. So I assume this was done intentionally. If that is the case, then yeah, you're just being stupid. Now, if this was the game, I used to play this game in high school a lot, and maybe you guys did too, where you would, if you could get one of your buddies to look at, at this, you'd get to punch him. Maybe he oh, is that playing. another thing then? Okay, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that that was. Maybe a thing. he's playing that game. Right. It, it seems really. You'd have to believe a lot. All right, so let, it, me, let me, let me, let now that there's another out, let me step back. If you're that individual and that's the reason you were doing it, you should sue their rear ends off for what they've what they've done to you publicly. Then, okay, all right, we'll come back. Three non-political questions are next. <laughs> Oh, you've been tugging at those ears. Those ears have been itching you lately. You've been feeling plugged up. You're like, I know what that means. I got to get back to the doctor, but you've been putting it off because it's a big hassle plus the expense. Did I mention the hassle of the weight? Then there's the weight to get the prescription and, and, and everything else. Hey, what if I told you you could bypass all of that and get pretty much the exact same results? Well, now you can. Uh, courtesy of WaxRx, it uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH condition formula just like the professionals do. Except now you can also get it without a prescription. All right, so no more, no more waits, expensive trips, etc. Everything that you need to have done, WaxRx will let you do it yourself right there in the comfort and convenience of your own home. If you want to give WaxRx uh, a try, you can do so risk-free today. Here's how. Just visit the website, usewaxrx.com, all one word. That's usewaxrx, all one word. Usewaxrx.com. And when you go to checkout to type in radio there for free shipping, usewaxrx.com, offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. I want to go back and revisit the the thing there with the Cubs fan, because given the size of the audience we have here at Blaze TV, it is imminently possible someone who knows this guy is in the audience, okay? If indeed that's the prank, I wasn't even aware this was another prank. Uh, yep. You flash this to punch a guy in the arm? If he looks at it, then you get to if punch he, him. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you guys have that in school? Anything like that? Well, I'm guys punch each other and find reasons to do it. So, yes. yes. Yeah. We, we had we had what was called doorknob. That if you were caught uh, farting in class or farting at any point, and you didn't say doorknob to cover yourself, then we all whoever whoever caught you, all, all of us at any point in time could just punch your arm as hard as we could. <laughs> we're not proud of our species. Oftentimes, we aren't. <laughs> Rely on us. Or uh, Mr. President, the Mr. President thing where you, everybody puts their hand or finger up to the ear and the last person not to do that is the president and everybody tackles him. Okay. Yeah, while saying, get down, Mr. President. Yeah, it's we, fun, we, fun. we called that with a football another game. I don't think we can call it that now anymore without everybody getting fired. But we had another word for that. You, brought, that was, you guys probably played that I game. exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yes. that, we, we played that one for hours. So here's the thing. If indeed that was the prank was, let me dial back some of my scorn and derision. I didn't realize there was multiple interpretations of this. I didn't know, and Aaron, Aaron and I were talking during the break, I'd never heard this associated with white power until the Kavanaugh hearings, when pretty much all insanity, from, that, from when pretty much the hell mouth opened and every crazy you know, demon came out, basically. The good right? old days. Yeah, that was you know, October. Um, so if, if I had no idea that this was another prank sign. So... I, I may owe him an apology. I don't know. I'm opening up the possibility that there's another reason he flashed, just happened to flash this in behind a black guy talking on a television camera. Can I say, though, in the future, if there is anybody else contemplating, particularly after too many beers at a ball game, hey, you know, uh, let me troll, let me own the lib media and flash. Don't. Don't. In fact, they're looking for people like you. Okay, they're looking for people like you to continue their made-up stories like this. Aaron often points out to you when our friend Bob Vanderplatz has an event. Before they always break for lunch at one of his conferences, he will always go to the podium and give a lecture. The liberal media is here. They're looking for freak shows. They're looking for straw men. Don't be that guy. They're going to try to talk to you while you're moseying about. Be normal. Be human. He literally does this as a disclaimer. Almost verbatim what I'm saying right now. I, I may have, you know, made it a little um, more blunt, but it's pretty much in the spirit of it. Yep. Don't, is it no, that was very bobbish right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So don't. It's not funny. You know, most Americans don't also don't know what a 4chan is. You know, just there's, there's, there's no point in feeding the animals here. It doesn't gain anything, right? You want to take a fire out, deny it oxygen, all right? All right, let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. Because we all need a little break from the continued demise of Western civilization and uh, triggering hand symbols. Can we call it that? Um, it's three questions on the Steve Day Show, where we talk about three questions that have nothing to do with things that are depressing, which is rare. Because have you looked at the news or any of the montages recently? First question, uh, the inspiration for which uh, comes from a movie I just watched for the first time this week, guys. It's called Moneyball. Have you guys seen that? Yes. Yeah. Great, great movie. It's you about guys. Billy Bean. I think the O2 A's, O2 or O3 A's, 
Um, so this question is, if you were a Major League Baseball general manager, would you rather exist or work in a small market with little to no pressure and little to no money or a large market with a lot of pressure, but basically limitless money? I'll, and let, why? You, I'll let you, Mr. Baseball, take this one first. Well, that's actually a legitimate and cool question now. Back when Billy Bean was Billy Beaning the world, um, the the obvious answer back then I think was large market. Um, but Billy Bean is is owed as much as anybody else for genuinely changing the playing field uh, in a game. I mean the the, the Royals uh, at all, uh, Milwaukee Brewers. Now uh, we just don't we don't. We, we, I come into the season now thinking there's a chance as a Milwaukee Brewer fan. So the question now is is legitimate. It's not easy for me, though. Boy, I mean, for me to how do you turn down the New York Yankees? Really, that's the instant thought that comes into my head. Even if like your home team Brewers ask you to do it, and I'm left thinking, and I'm not certain about this, but it's my gut reaction at the time. I think you still take high pressure, high dollar, big money because you can still do it differently. You don't have to sell out. Um, I think I'd still go that way. So. I think you made a really uh, salient observation when you talked about how how we define small and large market is different than what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it used to be, you know, pretty much um, the the Yankees and the Red Sox and then, you know, maybe uh, the Angels um, with their owner out there got any free agent that they wanted. And, and there's still some of that. But these television contracts and all these regional networks now, you know, the huge advantage that the, the, where the Yankees got their advantage was the advent of the Yes Network. And so it basically allowed them to double dip. They already were in the number one market, but now they had their own television network to, to singularly monetize at the same time they had the advantage of being uh, in the largest market. And that just became an overwhelming uh, advantage for them. But if you go back and look at that dominant run that they had in that era with Joe Torre as the manager and Brian Cashman, who's still the GM, you still, they had a lot, Derek Cheater. Oh, that was um, uh, homegrown augmented Bernie, by uh, Who am I thinking of? Uh, the Bernie uh, Bernie Williams, the Bernie center Williams, fielder. You're right. They they augmented a, you know, a couple of big, big name free agents with, they actually rebuilt themselves organizationally Agreed. coming out of the, the 80s with George Steinbrenner as well. And so I, I actually think we don't have to make the choice. And I'm not trying to go all Shannon Joy on you here. Uh, <laughs> but I actually think we don't have to make the choice anymore. In fact, if I were going to pick a market, I, I and some of this is a, you know I don't, I'm I'm really trying not to be a homer but I would pick a market where there is a strong tradition of supporting baseball yes. and success oh, yes. but from a family perspective you know I had a chance to compete for a job doing drive time in New York City several years ago and it's like what you said if how do you say no to the Yankees yeah it's the kind of job it, it I, you know it, Mike Huckabee once told me about the vice presidency it's the job no one wants but no one says no to when it's offered right. You know, I, I couldn't imagine, I wanted to get this job for what it would mean career-wise to drive time in New York City is a, you know, that's, that's a notch on the, on the, on the, you know, in the belt there. Uh, but when, when, when I got back from New York after spending a week out there trying out and, and the family and I got together and started game planning out what it would entail to live there on a permanent basis, even making a good living, mm -hmm. the time of commuting, travel, everything else. There's a huge strain, uh, cost of living, that 
adds to the pressure away from the job and the prestige of the job. So to me, I'd look at the Detroit Tigers or the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals, yeah. I'd look at organizations where there there's enough big city there, but but there's enough of regular living uh, in the surrounding communities, strong traditions with a lot of winning, a lot of ties to historic Major League Baseball. They've also won in the recent era. You know, the Cardinals are almost in a way kind of the Green Bay Packers of Major League mm-hmm. Baseball. Um, and then, you know, the Tigers had a run for about a decade. They were basically in the playoffs or, or playing to be in the playoffs the last weekend of the season for pretty much a decade straight until that team kind of ran its course. So I would look at organizations actually like that. Good answer. Yeah, I think I would probably go uh, for a smaller market. Although the the note about, you look at what the Rays are going through right now where yeah. they're great and nobody shows up <laughs> to the games. I wonder uh, what their television ratings are though. Yeah. Uh, how many people in, in the community watch the games? Yeah. And then also the experience of going to a ballpark, it's cannot be the same. In a, it's basically a dome, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's so covered, much about that circumstance that is just weird. Make, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably go for a, a smaller market team. Cause I think the challenge or the, um, the, you know, yeah, I think they just the challenge of building up a team uh, would be a little bit more fun when you had less resources. But yeah, I think that the point about the uh, fan support is probably the best. Uh, second question, and I'll go first on this one, uh, since it's going to take you guys, I think, a little bit of time to think through. What are the top three? I didn't see that coming cinematic moments that you can remember. Uh, I'll give you my, my top three while you guys are coming up with it. Number three would be probably Red Skull in uh, Infinity War. I did not see that coming at all. I don't know if really anybody did. Uh, number two, I would say at the ending and the uh, location, the reveal of the location of uh, what would be known as, a, what's the name of the movie? It's, it's the M. Night Shyamalan movie where he's in a, uh, in a zoo, essentially. Um, I, I talking about the village? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, he's in his, no, the, the main character is in a zoo. It just was on the tip of my tongue. And then the, the first one is the village actually, where you actually pan I hate out. that movie, the heat of a thousand suns pan out and you see a car driving along the road when you thought this was like set in the 1800s or something like that. Those are my top three. Well, t- the first one is obvious. I think, uh, no Luke, I am your father. I mean, I can See, still remember sitting in Man's Chinese Theater and in May of 1980 at eight years old, you know, and hearing that, seeing split. that for the first time. Split. That's the movie I oh, was split. thinking of. Oh, yeah. Split, yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's number one. And then there's Space Butter, Space Butter, Space Bar. I'm going to give you, I'm going to go off the books for another one. In fact, Amy and I still talk about this scene, Okay. The opening 10 minutes to Wesley Snipes' Blade, the first Blade movie, will blow you away. When they find out that they're actually, they think they're going to a regular party, and you're led to believe this. And and it looks everything like a rave. And then the sprinklers come on, and instead of water, blood comes out. And uh, these two guys, uh, these two dudes are surrounded by vampires. Cool. And they just figure out that uh, their uh, meat's on the menu and it's them. <laughs> All right. That opening scene was, uh, whoa. That, Amy and I still talk about that. That movie's 20 years old now. We still talk about it. And I'm going to give you a third one that's more recent. I could come up with others, but these are just the I first thing that came to mind. I know which one this is. And, it's, it's, and, it, and 
it, it it's it's one of the best horror movies of the last ten years yep. in my view, and it's so traumatizing that every yeah. time you try to watch it, you can't you can't get past this scene. Uh, of what happens in Hereditary. And they do such a brilliant job because when you see the trailers, you think the movie is about a certain thing. Mm -hmm. And this scene lets you know about 20 minutes into the movie. It's not about that at all, right? And yeah, I, don't, I left and, that and off. I don't, I don't need, the movie's more than a year old. I don't want to spoil it for anybody just in case you see it. Yeah, okay? I left that off my list just because it was so... You're traumatized still. I am tr still traumatized. That movie took me two attempts. I think I told you that movie yeah. took me two attempts to watch. Go ahead, Todd. Those are my, I'll give you those three. Uh, I'm going to be missing some. I know. I, well, this is going to cause controversy, but it, I in it's the reverse side of things. I, I honestly, in the Last Jedi, I I I, oh, no. I almost walked out in the Yoda tree scene of a Star Wars movie. I'm, that's not it, it. I could not believe they were that shoddy with their own source material. It was blasphemous. Uh really. So. There's that. Uh, it's true. You got two more. It's true. Well, see, it, see, Star. You got me thinking You're about traumatized Star Wars. now. And of so, course, yeah. it's it's of course it's. I am your father. Uh, that is there. See, uh, that, this is a generation because I didn't yeah. see that in the theaters, so yeah. I already knew that the saying right. "I am your father" before I even see. Saw well, that's it why everybody says you can if you show your that people like us who show our kids yeah. the movies. You can't show. You can't start with Phantom Menace. You absolutely have to start mm -hmm. with Star Wars, then go Empire, and then go back. Mm -hmm. So, oh, you, you're really bruised by that uh, Last Jedi thing, aren't you? It's no, you are. It's true. And your third, quickly. I, I, I'm missing something. I, I don't. I don't have a third. Okay. okay. One more question. Go ahead. Um, who is one person you'd like to have dinner with in your own home, and what's the first thing you'd like ask him or her? It's a live person. Somebody's alive live, right now. Yeah, not a dead person. You, those okay. people, I don't think if they if they're talking, they're unsanitary. Then, then the, yeah, there's a problem. Um, so somebody who's alive right now. Yeah. What's the one question um, that uh, that I would like to ask them? Yeah, um, have dinner with in your home. So if it's a creepy person or some person you don't feel comfortable around, then you know. Uh, the head of Warner Brothers. How the hell do you uh, blank up uh, Justice League, bro? See, we all have our wounds. <laughs> I, I hear you. I got gotcha. you. You're right. I should have been more sympathetic. <laughs> do you have one quickly? You have one, Todd? Uh, well, we, we did, there's a similar question. The Pope. It's obvious. Pope Francis. Oh, yeah, that is pretty obvious. All right. Yeah, I would. And what would you ask him? Uh, I would ask him a why, derivative of the question I just asked how, the head of Warner how, Brothers. How do you, Pope yeah, Francis? Yeah. How do you screw up yeah. the Justice League? <laughs> no, how do you? Uh, if you believe in the devil, because he just did this again, the devil's real. If you believe in the extent that you do, how do you give such license to the crap that you do? Mm. That's good. That's pretty good. I'd be uh, John Kasich. I'd ask him uh, if he could tell me his life story. <laughs> Specifically, his parents. Specifically, Start from your dad's career as a mailman. Start there. Yeah. And regale me, with, <laughs> regale me with the sordid tales. Yep. Tale as old as time. Dad was a mailman. 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 <laughs> mailman. Oh, that was good. I liked it. Now, I'm guessing uh, most of you didn't watch uh, the recent episode of 60 Minutes. Uh, if you did, though, and you're a homeowner, 
uh, you're probably really nervous. If you didn't watch and you're a homeowner, check this out. Uh, they were talking to the FBI's former head of cyber crimes, and he was warning homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and they can do it all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you've got equity in your home, here's how they get to you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, stick you with the payments, and no bank or identity theft program protects you. That's why you need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage and vis-a-vis the equity that the thieves want. If cyber thieves tamper with it, they will mobilize to shut it down. You may already, though, be a victim. Here's how to find out for free. HomeTitleLock.com is the website. HomeTitleLock.com. And you can register there for a free title scan and report. That's normally a $100 value. But you can get it today for free if you go to the website. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. You know, I owe you an apology. You're right. I, I should have been, I should have been uh, far less dismissive and far more supportive of the, your continued being triggered by the Last Jedi. Not well, that I even agree with it, in, it, it specifically, but I certainly should be more empathetic to, um, uh, to the to the Lake Wobegon you're currently living in, where this movie is concerned. Given how broken I remain from the Justice League film, you're right. I'm sorry. I accept your apology. I'm actually looking forward to um, this next movie, knowing that it's supposed to be retcon. It's still not going to take away, I think, the hole that that uh, Last Jedi left in Todd and I's heart. But it's nice to know that they're all g- going to make it essentially. It was all a dream. At least that's how it sounds. Anyway, they're going to find Bobby Ewing in the shower. Yep, that's where you know the beginning of, oh, of, of, of is episode. Bob nine. Newhart starring in this as well. <laughs> we'll come back with hour two here, live and on demand on the Blaze. Stay tuned. And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand, but we're really not that much in demand. Uh, Here on The Blaze, radio, TV, and podcast, I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you are listening to us today via podcast, if you've got time to leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, we would greatly appreciate you. Now, some of you are like, dude, I I can't in good conscience leave you a five-star review because I think this sucks. Well, we wouldn't ask you to lie. Maybe just keep that... Uh, those thoughts to yourself. But uh, if you do like uh, the way we finger roll around here, we would appreciate it. Uh, If you'd leave us a five-star review at the podcast platform of your choice, thousands of you have done this for us already. And we appreciate each and every one of you doing so. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Who doesn't like us? So you have to like us a lot. I think you were telling me today, Aaron, we have... Uh, on on our Facebook watch page, added thousands of new people there. Almost 10,000 since January 1st. And then my native Facebook page, we have added how many people? 566 since January 1st. Yeah, that's that's what a shadow ban looks like, folks. So, What was that you said? It's the new math, Steve. Uh, It is, which uh, is bad math. So we need you to like us on Facebook a lot. Like you're Danny DeVito and one flew over the cuckoo's nest right now. Hit me, hit me. Just keep hitting the like button. 
And maybe if you do it 37 times, maybe one of those, Facebook will say, okay, we'll go ahead and let this one count. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Theology Thursday coming your way later this hour. We've got a brand new partner here on the Steve Dace Show, uh, and it is FreedomWorks. And we all know that over there in D.C., they're trying to import socialism to America. What many don't know, though, is HHS Secretary Alex Azar is actually helping their cause by trying to let foreign countries dictate the prices of your medicine. Doing this is going to lead to shortages of vital medicines and set medical research back decades, making it harder for researchers to find cures to horrible diseases like diabetes, Alzheimer's, maybe even one day cancer. I don't think any of us signed up. You know, there's nothing America first in that. We didn't sign up uh, for foreign governments meddling with our health care. Thankfully, FreedomWorks is doing everything they can to sound the alarm and stop Azar's experiment and socialize medicine in its tracks, but they can't do it by themselves. So they need your help. That's why we're asking you to go to www.freedomworks.org slash dace. FreedomWorks, all one word, freedomworks.org slash dace, my name. Tell Secretary Azar to fix patients, not prices. Make no mistake about it. Tying the prices of your medicine to other countries does not put America first. So again, this is the website you want to go to. FreedomWorks, all one word, freedomworks.org slash dace, my name, D-E-A-C-E, and say, hey, put American consumers and American patients first, all right? So there is a new um, illustrated book out. I just want to read the description, all right, that the author posted to, on his own website. It's, it's pretty pithy. It won't take me very long. Apocalypse Now takes us through all of the ecological catastrophes they've threatened us with, but which proved less than apocalyptic for the past 50 years. It's a great read for your children. It makes an even better gift for your leftist friends. Get it before we all die. (laughs) I like that. And the author, Evan Sayet, joins us now, conservative comedian. It's good to see you. Evan, how are you, man? I'm well, except I thought I had 12 years until we all die, but now it turns out Beto says it's only 10, so you better hurry and get the book now. It is. It's only 10. You know by the time the Democratic convention uh, happens in Wisconsin uh, next summer, we're going to be down to six months to live. You realize that, Evan. Well, actually, I got a hold of Camilla Harris's uh, position paper, and apparently we're all already dead. Well, I am dead. I'm actually speaking to you from the grave. I, I, I was, I perished in the mass inferno caused by net neutrality, and I never even, oh. I never even lived to see the uh, Trump tax cut. So, uh, yeah, which, I, which finished I, the rest of us off, apparently. At, at least you had that. I, I, I died because of cow farts. <laughs> so, where did the idea for this book come from? As you know, in addition to being a comedian, I'm also a rather serious political analyst, let's say, or philosopher, people sometimes say. So my previous book, The Kindergarten of Eden, How the Modern Liberal Thinks, was a serious book. My next book, called Countering Culture, The Left's War Against All That Is Human, is a serious book. And in that serious book, I just happened to be going through all of the environmental catastrophes, the apocalypse, my fake plural of apocalypse, from the time I was a kid. And, mm-hmm. and I swear to you, Steve, it just started to sing in my head. It was so ludicrous as, as I listed killer bees and mad cow, hole in the ozone and, and, and acid rain. And I, I just, it just became sing-songy. And I decided instead of writing a book, I'm going to write a poem. 
And once I did, it became a children's book. And once it became a children's book, there's nobody else that would want an AF Bronco, the editorial cartoonist illustrated. And boom, there we are. One of the things I, that you get that, I, that I've always liked about your work is if it's funny, then the general public will give you permission to be particularly vicious in your critiques <laughs> and assessments. Oh, I, I, I don't know that, that I, I like the idea that I'm particularly vicious. What I am is particularly honest and, and clear. And because they're such morons, it appears vicious. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, um, your lack of facts, uh, you know, don't care about my feelings is essentially what I hear you uh, saying with a statement like that. You mentioned how many years this has gone by, and I was listening to you name off all of the uh, the things we were told were going to finish us. You know, I'm going to turn 46 years old in July, and I heard about all of these two things growing up in two places, elementary school uh, all and, and on into junior high, and then in search of, I love that old show with Leonard Nimoy, and uh-huh. they did all kinds of uh, shows back in the day. In fact, you know, we actually went in on. There's an old clip on YouTube right now where you can get the original In Search of from 1979, warning us about the the coming ice age. I mean, all that all that stuff is still out there if you just look hard for it. Right, and you realize you've now plugged Leonard Nimoy and In Search of more than you plugged my book, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> just so you know, just so you know, the whole time you've been talking, a picture of the book with the actual cover and the name of it has been on screen the entire time. All right, just so you're, you're getting you're getting your plug in. Trust me, you're getting that. What what's, uh, to give to give I'm sorry to, to give you an idea how far back this goes. I, I released my book, Apocalypse Now, on Earth Day, which was about two weeks ago, April 22nd. Mm-hmm. On that same day, CBS News re-ran Walter Cronkite reporting on the very first Earth Day 49 years ago. Mm. And it was dire. We were doomed. It was awful. And the, they come back to the studio, and there's Walter Cronkite. He can barely move. He's, he had just gotten the Earth's death sentence. And he looks into the camera, and he sums it all up by saying, the message is clear. Act now or die. Oh, that was 50 years ago. <laughs> it, it's self-negating the fact that they ran this, that we only have five or 10 or 12 years to live. And that's been said for the last 50 years. I remember Ted Danson telling me in the 80s when he was at the height of his Cheers fame that we were all going to get boiled, be boiled in the oceans in 20 years. Do you remember that one? Oh, of course. And look, we were going to have our skin peel off by acid rain. We were going to fry to death because of a hole in the ozone. I mean, every, every form of life that you can imagine has, has run amok. There were killer bees. There were bees that were going to kill us. And, and there were cows that were going to drive us mad. And there were birds that were going to give us the flu. I, the one, the one, I, I, I pulled out a news clipping for our audience uh, last week where I read them the actual story. Uh, of a of a UN climate uh, uh, expert making all the same dire warnings that we see in the news and everything all the time. All right, and I and all I did was just read the story, and then at the end, I, I pulled this right out of the archives at the Associated Press, their online archives. All right, and at the end, I shared with them the date. It was April thirtieth, nineteen eighty nine. Yep, and and look, the the problem with doomsday scenarios and and things that are put on a timer like five years, 10 years, we're going to be underwater in 20 years is five years go by, 10 years go by, 20 years go by. And, and, and when their dire predictions not only prove to be untrue, but the opposite of the truth. So they went from global cooling. We were going to freeze to death. There was going to be an ice age, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. to now it's global warming. 
180 degrees. My favorite of them, and it's in my book, is is first they threatened us with killer bees. There were going to be these swarm of, of, of weaponized bees that were going to sting us all to death, a horrible, horrible death. And when that didn't happen, they said, wait, actually, the, the problem is that there are no bees. The bees have gone missing. We're all going to die because there are no bees. So they got us from both sides. They got us too many bees, too few bees. They got us to global freezing, global warming. It's... It, there doesn't have to be any truth to what they're arguing. They buy themselves five or ten years of power, of money. You know, that's what this is all about. Rahm Emanuel said there's opportunity founding crisis. All right? Well, if you want the opportunity to get rich, as Al Gore has, if you want the opportunity to get famous, as, as Alexia, uh, Alexandria uh, um, Ocasio-Cortez has, if you want the opportunity for more power, then you invent crises. Evan Sayed is our guest here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. His own self-described faux children's book is now for sale, Apocalypse Now. You can get it uh, on Amazon and Kindle. There's only one magazine I've ever paid, been a paid subscriber to in my lifetime, and it was Sports Illustrated. And just to show how comprehensive what you're talking about is, the I canceled my subscription and never paid for another copy. When they did several years ago, I don't even know if you remember this. I can't remember if you're a big sports fan or not, but they did a massive cover story about how global warming, and they they, they showed the Miami Marlins. Uh, do you remember this, Todd, this cover? Yeah, yeah they showed the, the, well, it was the Florida Marlins back then. Uh, they hadn't rebranded yet to just to suck even more with a new name. Uh, but uh, the Florida Marlins Stadium, uh, underwater, all right? And it was an entire thing about how global warming, if not addressed, was going to be catastrophic for sports. That that Evan, that was my tap out. I've I've not bought a copy of Sports Illustrated ever since. Why why is I, I, why is yeah, this so yeah. comprehensive? Why? Well, because in any such leftist movement, and this is quite terrifying, everything is political. You know, back back in Nazi Germany, everything was the Nazi chess club, the National Socialist baseball team. Everything. I mean, and 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 that's true with this movement as well. Everything is political, whether it's Dennis Prager wanting to, to, to conduct an orchestra. Well, he can't because he's a conservative. Whether it's uh, Kurt Schilling announcing a baseball game, he can't because he's a conservative. Whether it's somebody selling a chicken sandwich, you can't because you're a conservative. It's quite frightening that this is what the left does. You know, they really are the heir to fascism, Nazism, Marxism, and what I call international socialism. Hmm. The we, other thing we, that's terrifying, is, if I may, Steve, sure. is we've, we've reached a, a, a tipping point where corporations who are not political, they're money and profit oriented, now believe that there's profit found in in, in selling the arguments of the left, yeah. All right. When you when you when you have uh, Nike hiring as 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 a face of their product, this scrub football player, this guy who could not make a major league roster, he was so bad by the end. I'm talking obviously about Kaepernick. That literally, and I'll show you. I'll send you the video. Defenses didn't even bother to cover his receivers because they knew he couldn't get it to them. And for them to perpetuate this lie because they've now concluded that there's profitability. There are enough mindless foot soldiers having been produced by the universities and the schools that profit lies in being anti-American, anti-male, pushing the, the, the fake leftist agenda. And that 
is more terrifying to me than the professional hucksters in, in the Democratic Party or the professional hucksters who get rich and famous flying private jets into Davos to, to promote global warming. When, when the corporations have decided that we've reached that tipping point where the money is to be found in leftist lies, that scares me. Totally agree with you on that, Evan. I mean, it's something that we've shared with our audience a lot in recent years is that there has been, you know, we always talk about every generational, generationally, we tend to have a massive political paradigm shift in America. And, you know, we seem overdue for one. And I would argue that we've had one. Uh, it's just gone lightly or largely unseen and unreported. And what's happened is corporate America has gone from, even if they didn't agree with us on a cultural level, they agreed that uh, we had the same political enemies, the same people that wanted to rein in their ability uh, to to make a profit. we also wanted to rein in, you know, our ability to conserve the values that uh, made this the most exceptional country on earth. So at the very least we were co-belligerents. And now you are saying that uh, they have completely flipped sides here. They work against us on a consistent basis. And where this really hit home to me was uh, eight or nine years ago, the, the, the you know when we had the the first gas price uh, you know escalation in the Obama years and the whole uh, you know drill baby drill thing. We were chanting that mantra, and I'm watching Exxon Mobil, the largest oil company on planet Earth. They weren't running ads saying drill baby drill. They were running green energy ads on television at that time. That was when it really began to hit home to me what you're describing here. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the, the paradigm change has been coming. This is actually the continuation, and I, and I believe uh, uh, the tipping point, the moment. This is do or die for us, truly. Uh, all the way back in, in the 1960s and the 60s revolutionaries, who the media portrays as hippies in the summer of love and, and, and flower children, when in reality, they, they, were, they were monsters who wanted to overthrow the American system and replace it with their own. Uh, these are people who actually set off bombs and killed people like William Ayers and his wife Bernadine Darwin. These are people like Mark Rudd and Jerry Rubin who implored children to murder their parents. These were vicious, evil people whose, whose design was the overthrow of Western civilization, but they couldn't rally enough Americans to side with them because most Americans back then knew about the real world, knew about real world dangers, and recognized, yeah, we got, we got righteous grievances in, in the black community. We got rightful grievances in, 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 if you're a woman. We've got, but there's still no place better on earth for us than America, and it's getting even better. All right, Segregation in the military had been ended by a Republican. Uh, segregation in the schools had been ended by a Republican. Things were getting even better, and there's a great story, one of my favorite stories, and it's coming up in my next book. Muhammad Ali, who actually faced real aggression, not microaggressions, who actually faced real taunting, right? not dog whistles. He went over to Africa to train for a, for a big fight over there. And so he was over in Africa for a month training, getting to know the people, getting to know the country. When he came back, the reporters said to him, how'd you like Africa, Muhammad? And Muhammad Ali said, quote, thank God my granddaddy got on that boat. Name of the book, if you want to check it out, Apocalypse Now is the name of the book, uh, and it's uh, by its author, a faux children's book, uh, and it's available now at Amazon and Kindle. The author, Evan Seyett's been our guest here today on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Good to talk to you, brother. Thanks for joining us today. All right. God bless. God bless you too, Steve. Thanks. All right. Take care. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts to the conversation we just had with uh, Evan Seyett? What do you think? Well, he's part of oh, that conversation I've had before about the great prophets of the age and how they communicate. 
uh, put him right in there with the Babylon uh, B and uh, Tatiana McGrath. Uh, you have to, and it goes to what you said before, Steve, if you can make people laugh, you can be vicious. And by vicious, it's not uh, mean-spirited. It is just cutting to the quick. It is it is the brutality of the truth, and that's the only thing that often wakes people up. The conversation that Steve talked about, the longer it gets, the more people in this culture tap out. you got to get to them, bam. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you can have that longer conversation, but it often takes the the kind of laughter that can be born out of partial pain. Yeah, I would agree. And um, satire, I think, is the finest and probably most high-minded yet accessible form of of humor because the basis of humor is when two things are put together in a way that does not make sense and our brains can't quite comprehend or make sense of it that's that's why we laugh it's it's actually there's a reaction there it's why we laugh when there's two things put together in a way that is accessible and does not make sense that's why we that's why we usually laugh and that's what satire does i mean the the babylon b headline the other day uh, Ilan Omer says, uh, if Israel is so innocent, why do they insist on being Jews? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. pick any Titanio McGrath tweet. Um, it's, th- it's that type of stuff that it's like you're making a, a larger point here mm-hmm. by putting two things together that are believable, but yet uh, don't, shouldn't, don't make any sense or shouldn't make any sense. And um, yeah, I mean, people like Evan and um, others... We had um, Titania McGrath's creator on last month as well. Uh, we we have to learn if we're not if we're not we ha- we have to learn how to communicate in those ways. Um, and again, not to be mean spirited, but to really cut through barriers and make people think. Agreed. To me, vicious doesn't have to mean no mean. You know, I I, I would I hope our military, when fighting in defense of our freedoms, I, I hope they're vicious. Right. I mean, that given the existential conflict that's at stake, one civilization goes on and another ends, you know, vicious to me is not gruesome or macabre. We're not talking about, you know, the sorts of things you read about pagan armies doing uh, in the scriptures. This is Lincoln about Grant. He fights. He fights. Yeah. Vicious means devastating. I, I devastated my opponent to the point they could no longer oppose me. And humor, if you, if you, and this was hard for me to learn early in my career. And because I, I am, I more prefer to uh, wax poetic. I, I more prefer to soliloquy here and to sermonize. And I, and it was interesting when I, when I learned the lesson early in my career that if we made it funny, if we did parodies and things of that nature, I could get away with saying things about Planned Parenthood and the parodies we did about them that if I said them just straight faced, you know, analytically in that, in that format, uh, people would say that's way out of bounds. There's no place for that. Uh, you know, in decent conversation, things of that nature. So, and they ended up underwriting your show. Yeah. They ended, up, they ended up actually running <laughs> commercials in our show. And I would then take, I'd take their audio and we would run parodies that mimicked their audio almost perfectly. <laughs> Same music, everything. All right. And, and I would run these coming right out of the break. Like, so the real commercial would run. And then our parody commercial would like run like right after that. And you know, I never asked for permission to do that. I'm a, I'm a bit, kids, don't tell your parents I said this, all right? But in general, in life, do not ask for permission. Just beg for forgiveness later, all right? Anybody who public, if anybody who punishes initiative, you don't want to work there anyway. <laughs> right? 
I mean, look, look where it got me, children. Look where I am. Actually, were you going to say that's something? A, that's a really good lesson. You don't want to work somewhere that punishes initiative. No, that's, you don't. I mean, that's how I got my first job in media is, you know, years and years ago, I started as a lowly news assistant at the Des Moines Register. And I thought that meant I was going to get to cover events. And no, it meant that I had to sit there and read the uh, agate section in small print over and over and over again and take box scores of high schools. And I never could understand why the people here in Iowa, it was Nevada and not Nevada. It was Madrid and not Madrid. I didn't understand that. It made no sense to me, you know? And uh, years went by and they, they actually tried to give me one assignment on track and field. And I thought it was beneath me because the only thing worse than track was field. That's what I said at the time. And so I didn't do the assignment and I was going to get fired from my job. And I, I was coming in on a, I was scheduled to work on a Saturday to get the old Big Peach together when they still did that nationally, you know, renowned sports section that they won awards for every year and they don't do anymore. And uh, that morning I was coming back from getting breakfast uh, for me and my buddies at Hardee's and I got hit, uh, broadsided and should have been killed in that accident. Actually, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt and survived it. I mean, I mean, they, they had to pull me out with glass coming out of my hair and everything else. I had a concussion. And other than that, I was released, uh, you know, seven, eight hours later to go home, but I was, you know, on bed rest for several days. And so I get back to work and, um, I'm still in a neck brace and everything. And those, that, that, that white liberal guilt at the newsroom just couldn't bring themselves to fire this poor guy in a neck brace. <laughs> so I kept my job and I, they told me this like a couple of years later. That's how I found out I was going to get fired that day. They told me a couple of years later about this, you know, and, um, about six months went by and by this time I'd met Amy and we were thinking about, uh, you know, having a serious relationship and I was working, I was working one job at the register, but didn't, it didn't pay peanuts with the hopes that it would get me further into the media door. And then I worked full time as a mailroom clerk at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And, um, one day I just decided, Hey, if I'm going to get married, I got to find out if I'm going to be, hope to one day work my way up to claims adjuster at Blue Cross Blue Shield or if I've got a future in media. So I, I, I called up the number one boys basketball team in the state, pretended I was a reporter. Uh, and I was assigned to do this story and just wrote the story. I turned it in like one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night after everybody went home and then just waited to see what would happen. I, I'm like, let me find out where I stand here. Monday morning goes, I'm getting ready. I got my mail cart. I'm going to deliver the mail at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And the phone rings and my supervisor comes to me and it's the deputy sports editor at the Des Moines Register who has a few choice words for me and uh, wants to make sure that uh, I come over to see him after, right after my shift is done. And, I, and the two buildings were at the time right across the street from each other. That's why I worked there while working at the Register. It was convenient just to go to the next building when that shift was done. And uh, I was dreading going over there. So I go into the office after my shift at the mailroom is done and he brings me into his office and just berates me. And I, I started thinking about, hey, what is the witty thing I could say here to kind of mic drop and walk out? And so that 20 years from now when I'm hanging out with dudes at the bar and talking about how I was almost a sports reporter, I can make this sound cool that I wasted this opportunity. And so I'm trying to come up with some kind of witty one-liner and then he looks at me, he says, but your story's really good and we're gonna run it on the front page of the uh, sports section tonight. And that, that story, if you come to my house, it's sitting there framed up in the basement. That was the first gift Amy ever gave me as she, as she was living out of state, ordered a copy of the paper to be delivered to her and had it framed and matted so that we, that was my very first ever byline. And that's how I got started in this business. 
So yes, you do not want to work at a place that punishes initiative. All right. I wish it always worked that way at the Des Moines Register. Yeah, I don't, well, there's, <laughs> yes. that, let's just say they're under some different management now. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Did they? Know, uh, I had a reverse they, of they, that. They canceled the Big Peach because environmentalism, right? Uh, maybe that was their excuse. It was uh, mercantilism. Ah, gotcha. as in uh, lack of sales. That's why they canceled it. Hey, um, you know what? We just talked about taking initiative. Take initiative where your health is concerned. I know it is not comfortable uh, or convenient uh, to, to eat healthy nowadays. Uh, it's just so much easier to eat something out of a box or run through a drive through But you know what? Missing in a lot of the, our lifestyles nowadays are those vi- vitamins, nutrients, minerals. That's why we're taking so many supplements nowadays is the things that God put in our food to supplement our health are largely stripped out of the way the average American eats, particularly where fruits and vegetables are concerned. That's why you want to check out uh, this new product from our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. It's called Field of Greens. No more excuses. This is real USDA organic fruits and vegetables. Turn over the label. It won't say supplement facts. It will say nutrition facts because it's actual food. All right, which means we're going to put back in you naturally the antioxidants, the immunity boosters, uh, the prebiotics, the probiotics, the things that are missing from a lot of our diets today. Field of Greens wants to put it back into uh, your body uh, to treat your uh, your temple well. And uh, it tastes good too and with zero calories. So no sugar. There's the 9,000, well, I think there's like 10 calories because it's food. It's food. I should have said no sugar. So it, this sounds, hey, Steve, this sounds a little bit like a naked juice. It, it's a lot like that just minus 90 grams of sugar. So take everything about the naked juice you're giving your kid that you like and then strip out the 90 grams of sugar that you don't like. Voila, it's a perfect marriage, all right? So you want to check this out right now. Go to BrickHouseSteve.com. Use offer code Steve when you check out and they'll give you 15% off of your first order at BrickHouseSteve.com, offer code Steve. All right, we're going to have Theology Thursday when we come back here after the break. Let's tease this a little bit. So I, I got an email the other day from one of our viewers who said, you know what? I love your show and I listen to a lot of shows like yours. And I'm just coming to the conclusion that things really aren't that much different than they've always been. And maybe we're just guys in our forties and we're at the age now that we get frustrated by seeing things not change the way we had hoped. And this, this kind of a light bulb came on and I got to thinking Culturally, you know, I've talked a lot politically that Donald Trump has not changed the political paradigm. And all the data shows this. The cake, the ingredients to bake the cake have not been changed. What we have is a new zanier frosting on the cake, you know, and it might have too many sprinkles for some people's liking, right? But it's the same. If you take the frosting off, the cake is, it's still the same cake. You need two eggs, you need margarine, you need baking soda. All the same ingredients to make the cake and to make it taste good are all the same things that we needed pre-Trump 20 years ago, 30 years ago, et cetera. Fundamentals of politics haven't changed. Trump just has a unique style. And is that also true culturally? You know, we have a we have a mantra around here when it comes to where America is trending culturally. We're a revival or bust show. And, and really, we think any human institutional effort to hold back the, the, the mob outside of Lot's house or the, the horde of orcs outside the city gate that are laying siege 
to where we live will fail. We're outnumbered now. And so it's, we can, we can hope for rear guard actions. We can do our best to practice, a, you know, use politics to practice a form of self-defense. But as Todd likes to say, anything further aspirational just isn't attainable at the moment. What does the data say about that? We're going to discuss when we come back here on Theology Thursday. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Millions of Americans miss work due to what's called chronic pain. This is pain caused by inflammation. Uh, Americans can spend up to an average of $2,000 a year on oils, creams, uh, other, you know, oral uh, pain relievers. It gets to the point that a lot of us just think, I'm just going to have to live with this chronic pain, uh, you know, for the rest of my life. But that may not be the case. Uh, A chronic pain is not caused often. It's usually not from an injury. It's usually from what's called inflammation. And there is a product out that uh, a lot of us here at The Blaze have had amazing results with, and I would be the most recent success story. It's called Relief Factor. It's 100% drug-free, even though it was created by doctors. So this is an opportunity to deal with this inflammation on a natural level without pumping your body with more antibiotics. Not that we're anti-antibiotic, you know, we, we love medicine, but if you train your body that you only get better uh, by being drugged, then what happens when the resistance to the drugs uh, builds up? If you can train your body to deal with things like inflammation naturally, that actually makes the drugs you may need for something more serious later even more effective. And right now, they're offering Relief Factor for just a dollar a day. It's called their three-week starter pack. So it's 20 bucks to try this for three weeks. And the reason they offer this is because the majority of people who try it have such great results, they stick with it anyway. So you've got nothing to lose by giving this a shot, except maybe hopefully and finally the pain. If if you're ready to give it a try, relieffactor.com is the website. That's all you need to know. You're looking for the three-week quick start for just $19.95 at relieffactor.com. So we just teased it. Uh, This week's Theology Thursday, you know, we talk about conservatism being an observational science more than an ideology, right? So what what is the condition of the culture? Where are we truly? Have things not changed as much as maybe we believe? And then what does that mean if that's the case? All right. And I, we talked a few minutes ago before the break why I wanted to do this topic, and uh, one of our viewers who kind of inspired me to look at this, look at it this way, and kind of challenged me from the perspective of what about what I've been saying for quite some time about it, the Trumpian factor in politics is overrated. Trump took advantage of the brokenness of the system. He didn't break the system. He's he's the he's the outcome of a system that was already broken. All right. So here's what I want to do. Uh, we're going to go back. Aaron was born in 1993. So we're going to look at a nice quarter century time period, 1993 to 2018, all right? Yep. The world that Aaron was born into, and we're going to look at it from several different cultural factors. I want to start by showing you this chart. This is Pew Research, and you know I'm a huge fan of their work. Uh, they, they were examining the views of Democrats and Republicans similarly over a 25-year period, basically, 1994 to 2017. And what you see 
is that Republicans have moved more to the right since 1994. But look how far left Democrats have gone since then. Look at that. If you're not listening, if you can't see us today, you almost need to subscribe just so you can see this chart with your own eyes. It's that powerful. You know, my, there's a whole chapter in my book, Truth Bombs, about how there really aren't any liberals anymore. There's just left America versus what's left of America. Todd, does this chart from Pew just not spell this out for you? Absolutely. And this is 2017 now. This is this is now before, you know, we, had, we were just in the opening throes of gender dysphoria, tranny madness that is our daily life now. We, we certainly haven't moved any more to the middle since 2017 no, no, on these no, issues, no. right? At least the Democrats haven't anyway. So I, I want us to keep that chart. If you're watching today, let's let's keep that chart in the off to the side. But so you have a constant context as we go through some of these data points. All right, let's start with marriage and family. All right, so 25 years of American culture on marriage and family, no fault divorce already existed when Aaron was born. The divorce rate was actually higher in 1993 than it was in 2018. Now, one of the main reasons, though, the divorce rate has gone down is overall the marriage rate has declined. It's been replaced by cohabitation and perpetual singles, okay? And then the first state constitutional amendments defining marriage as one man and one woman, that battle began with those ratifications in the states of Alaska and Hawaii in 1998 when Aaron was only five. So essentially... Aaron has never, our producer Aaron, a millennial, has never lived in a world where the issue of marriage was settled and was considered good and proper and something to uh, seek after and pursue. He's never lived in that world. All right. Let's go to the next uh, factor, sexuality. The teen pregnancy rate is actually lower now than it was in 1993. Now, the main reason is because uh, rates of STDs associated with other forms of sexual contact are now much higher. Uh, pornography was already omnipresent, courtesy of video. I mean, I don't know where, what things were like there in suburban Madison where you were growing up, but we all knew who Tracy Lawrence was. We all knew who Ginger Lynn was. Just like, you know, I, we all knew who Jenna Jameson was. You know, I don't know who the internet porn stars are. It's more omnipresent than it was. It's more available now than it was then, but it was pretty on the present when we were in high school and college yeah, in 1993, right? For sure. Uh, shows overtly promoting homosexuality, like uh, Queer as Folk, debuted in 2000. Uh, the L Word uh, debuted in 2004. They would all debut before Aaron entered middle school. Both Bill Clinton and the George W. Bush administrations, the first two presidencies of Aaron's lifetime, would each have openly homosexual appointees in federal government as well. Oprah Winfrey did her infamous Rainbow Party episode about high school hookup culture. Uh, she did that back in 2003 when Aaron was just 10. ABC aired what was considered the first sympathetic portrayal of gay couples in a 1972 television movie starring Hal Holbrook called The Certain Summer or That Certain Summer. Neither Todd nor I were born yet. Aaron wouldn't be born for 21 more years. Billy Crystal became the first gay father on television in 1977 on the series Soap. Aaron wouldn't be born for 16 more years. Todd and I went and saw Star Wars as little little kids for the very first time that year. In 1994, ABC show My So-Called Life was the first to depict a gay teenager. That same year, Mariel Hemingway and Roseanne Barr had the first on-screen lesbian kiss uh, in the history of network television on her hit show. Aaron was one years old. 
1996, when Aaron was five years old, 32 million people tuned in to watch the Friends episode titled The One with the Lesbian Wedding. 42 million would watch Ellen DeGeneres come out as homosexual on her sitcom just a year later. Will and Grace would debut in 1998, the year after that. Aaron has never known a world where matters of sexuality were considered traditional, predetermined, um, settled. He has never known that world. Let's look at gender. The first gender reassignment surgery, or they were called sex change operations back then, uh, it occurred at Johns Hopkins University in 1966. That's the year Star Trek debuted on NBC for the first time, the original series. Almost a decade, that's, a, that's almost a decade before either Todd or I were born. Aaron would not be born for another quarter century. David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust character launched in 1972, the year before I was born, which was the vanguard of the androgyny craze in pop culture. By the time we get to 1993, when Aaron was born, we would have also seen the hair metal craze of the 80s fizzle out, where pop stars wore eyeliner, full faces of makeup, to go along with all that hairspray, too. The first trans character on network television aired on an episode of The Jeffersons in 1977 when George discovers an old army buddy is now identifying as a woman. Aaron's never known a world where gender issues were settled, normal, determined. He's never known that world. Let's look at abortion. 1.33 million children were murdered via abortion in 1993, according to CDC. That's the year Aaron was born. In 2015, that's the latest year that the CDC has put out data, that number fell to 633,169. That's basically a 50% decline. So Aaron's lived through a time where the abortion rate has seen a demonstrative decline, actually. How about foreign policy? I think this is key to look at with Aaron's generation because his generation's who's making up the men and women we have in uniform right now. Aaron was eight years old when 9-11 happened. A month later, we would invade Afghanistan. So Aaron and his generation barely remember a time when the U.S. was not mired in some form of endless war in the Middle East. They, they, can't, even, they can't imagine a time when that didn't happen. We just talked with Evan Sayet uh, about climate hysteria. This is the last set of issues we're going to look at, cultural indicators here. Everybody from Time Magazine to Walter Cronkite to the TV show In Search Of were warning about a coming ice age and the end of time in the 1970s. Environmental groups went mainstream in the 1980s, leading to apocalyptic warnings about global warming from, global warming from major TV stars like Ted Danson. The cartoon Captain Planet debuted in 1990, my junior year in high school. And Al Gore's Earth in the Balance became a New York Times bestseller in 1992. All this happened before Aaron was born in 1993. He has never known a world where we were not overrun with apocalyptic climatism. He's never, never seen that world. So here's my conclusion. What we've witnessed in recent years isn't a new cultural phenomenon, but a more radicalized version of the same battle for the soul of America that has been, be that has been waged since the counterculture. These are all offshoots of the baby boom era and the counterculture all came out. These are its progeny. What seems new is really the same cultural siege to tear down the walls of restraint that were originally built into American culture. And again, that's been waging since the advent of the counterculture. When a, when a culture is under siege, like in a real war, 
or in a hot war, or in this case, a cultural war. They can live relatively normal for a, a, for a long period of time, depending on what the state of their resources are. The armies could still be out there. You know when the bombing begins, when the catapults start, you hide out. That's the, when you hear the sirens, and then when the sirens are done and the bombing ends and the catapulting ends, what do you do? It's got to go back to the rest of your li- regular life knowing that they're on the other end of the wall waiting to lay siege. It can all seem normal for a long time, or at least as long as your resources can hold out. But once the resources become scarce, the same siege that had been raging for months or maybe years and years, suddenly, like that, it seems really real when it's been going on the entire time. I think that is what's happening now. Our cultural resources, our natural cultural resources, free speech, freedom of religion, private property rights, separation of powers, local control, the things that were established in order to slow down the siege outside of the wall have all been eroded now. They're, 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 they've been worn down to the nub if they exist at all. And so therefore, our natural resources that we have culturally to withstand the siege are scarce. And so this same siege, pagan progressives have been waging this entire generation, just now suddenly seems more dire when it's really just, the, it's just you know, we're, we're getting into the, to borrow a phrase, we're in the end game now. Your thoughts, gentlemen, particularly you, Todd. Well, it it is. Uh, it it it's definitely more dire because we are uh, in the end game now. I mean, it's been dire uh, all along, uh, but once those weapons of warfare, warfare, and or just the simply guardians on the wall or the wall itself are being worn down to a nub. Uh, it, it, it's realistic to say, you know, you know, here and no further, or this is the 11th hour, we must do something or there's, it's all over for, uh, all of us. I, I, um, I think, I think this is a powerful point that you said the initial reader, uh, uh, brought up because it's, it does very much have a, you know, 40 years in the desert quality, Mm -hmm. uh, to it. I mean, we don't. We we have been wandering uh, for a long time. We have been weighed, measured, and found wanting uh, for a long time. I I, but I think where you end with that is it, it's absolutely not a call. And I'm not sure where the the person you're talking about is is if if, if was he calling us to just relax a little bit because the opposite is actually true. We've been far relaxed for far too long which is why he's able to write an email like that i mean that's why generation after generation especially in a place of milk and honey the greatest land of milk and honey ever created in the history of mankind the united states of america we've we've been relaxed on cruise control for so long taking for granted our rights and our liberties that the aaron Rodgers uh answer relax it is absolutely not the answer. It, it is to fight now while you have a chance. What do you think, listening to this, Aaron? Yeah, I would... This episode of This Is Your Life. This, yeah, that was, that was really bizarre. No, no, it was really... It was kind of like a redux of a nefarious plot. Uh, it was kind of like gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. Uh, the underscore... I want to underscore this one more time. I wasn't alive during Ronald Reagan. My parents were. I hear you. I mean, you guys obviously 
where I hear so many stories from your generation and my parents' generation about how things were. And they're all, uh, whether or not it's nostalgic or whether or not it's true, I think there's probably a little bit of, mm-hmm. of both. Um, it was a good time, uh, but I wasn't alive <laughs> during that, so I have no idea what that was like. I remember 9-11, most of the people in my generation do, um, but anything before that, it's really fuzzy, really hazy. Remember a lot of stuff after that, uh, too, just because of how this was different um, um, for for our lives. But the operative word here, I want to put up the last part of your conclusion, suddenly seems... I, I think this has something to do with, with some conversations that we've had, is that technology, and we talked about this yesterday with Daniel, technology has made our knowledge of the other, or our knowledge of the left progressivism, it has increased that exponentially. Social media technology has done that. Kind of putting this full circle to, this, to the show today as well, uh, to the beginning of the show. In philosophy, for one side's assertion to be true, the inverse must also be mm-hmm. true. Aren't they then more aware of us? Yes. And how does that how does that feed into are the dynamics that are at play? Mm-hmm. I think that's a side of this that we don't talk about. Because yes, we're more aware of the other. The other's more aware of us too. Yeah. And two things cannot peacefully coexist when they are so aware and so in your face all of the time. And I think that is the key. It's not – it's like what we say about Donald Trump, and I was – we almost went a se- segment without saying his name, guys. Um, Donald Trump is not the problem. He's a symptom of the problem. All of the issues that we see today are not the problem. They're just symptoms of problems, the groundwork of which has been laid for decades in this, in this country. And technology has made both sides of this war more uh, engaged – and more aware of the other. Well said. Hey, if you are in the market for a home this spring or summer, you want to check out uh, a company Glenn Beck and his associates started a few years ago called Real Estate Agents I Trust. Um, and uh, what, what they do is they seek to find an agent that is worthy of you, not to find you as a customer for an agent. And you're looking for an agent that has really th- three characteristics. They have a track record, of successfully navigating what can be a very complicated real estate process. Uh, They also understand that data is important, but uh, you got to look beyond the algorithms. Don't spare the details. There may be a reason a certain home is priced more than uh, yours is, and you can't you know, raise your price to it, or a certain home was underpriced in your neighborhood and you shouldn't lower your price in response. Though That's the kind of homework you need an agent uh, willing to do. And then just somebody, frankly, you get along with because you're going to be spending a lot of time uh, in, in talking over things and discussing things and sometimes in a very stressful situation. So that certainly helps. If this is what you're looking for, and it should be if you're planning on uh, getting into the real estate market this spring or summer, check out the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Todd, I know you wanted to chime in. I'll give you the last well, word here today. The suddenly seems thing, but that's always been that way throughout human history. You know, we Germany was the pinnacle for centuries of, you know, art, music, philosophy, things like that. It ultimately got to the point, and there was certainly World War One was in there, but we've had 9-11 here in America. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you've got uh, Kristallnacht, and you're rounding up Jews 
uh, and you're looking for the final solution. It, you know, it, it does suddenly go like that uh, oftentimes. I, I don't think we should delude ourselves that history is suddenly, oh, everybody's awake now, there's the danger. That's not how this works. Hmm. You wanted to say something there, Aaron? Well, we don't have any uh, any time left, unfortunately. Okay. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. If you're still thinking of it, then it was probably worthy of saying. If not, then it wasn't. <laughs> This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.